0: Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. Today, we have a February 20th, 1943, closed-circuit broadcast from the U.S. Office of Censorship. This broadcast was sent out to employees of radio stations across the country, but was not intended for public broadcast. It discusses the efforts to manage the information that is shared with the listening public and goes over new rules put in place by the Office The World War II Radio Podcast is a BrickPickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And be sure to visit our website at BrickPickleMedia.com podcasts, where you can find links to past episodes and other information. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast.
2: The following quarter hour is not to be broadcast. The line facilities of the four major radio networks are being used during the next 15 minutes for closed circuit talks of special interest to the radio stations of the United States. These talks should not be on the air at this time, nor should they be broadcast at a later time in recorded form. The subject matter of these talks is intended for listening radio station personnel only and is not for publication. Gathered in the studios of network-affiliated radio stations throughout the country are representatives of those affiliated stations and the non-network stations in each community to hear two speakers from the Office of Censorship in Washington. Censorship has recently marked the conclusion of its first year of operation as an important broadcast function during these war times. The Code of Wartime Practices for American Broadcasters, the Voluntary Code of Censorship, has just been revised for the second time and issued in its revised form to the broadcasters of the country. These two occasions bring to us today Mr. Byron Price, Director of Censorship, and Mr. J.H. Ryan, Assistant Director of Censorship in charge of the Broadcasting Division. Those listening will want to have copies of the recently revised code at hand during Mr. Ryan's talk. We shall hear first from Mr. Byron Price, Director of Censorship. Mr. Price.
1: It's been a little more than a year since I talked to you over a closed circuit somewhat similar to this. In these intervening months, you have been writing broadcasting history. A year ago, we were in the early stages of a great experiment. Broadcasting being a comparatively new part of our national life, no one could foretell with certainty how the experiment would work. We in the Office of Censorship had two reasons for anxiety. There was the possibility, on the one hand, (coughs) that some one or more broadcasters would decline to go along with the cooperative effort which was essential to success in this highly competitive industry. On the other hand, we were newcomers to Washington, and we were quite conscious that other government agencies might resent our appearance on the scene and refuse to stand aside and give us a free hand in the work of censorship, which theoretically had been placed in the Office of Censorship alone. As to the first of these factors, it can now be said, in my opinion, that voluntary censorship of broadcasting has been a success. There have been some misunderstandings (coughs) and some unpleasant incidents that were certain to happen under the stress of war in any undertaking of so great a scope, even though the intentions of everyone concerned were of the best. When we realize the difficulties of other war agencies, and compare the percentage of compliance which has been accorded other war measures, even under threat of fine and imprisonment, the only possible conclusion is that the broadcasters of the country have cooperated magnificently. Our gratitude to you knows no bounds. You are doing a great thing for your country and a great thing for the future of free radio. As to the second hurdle, I can tell you in this off-the-record talk that the life of the Office of Censorship in the wide family circle of official Washington has not been without difficulties. One of the strange things about censorship seems to be that everybody and his brother wants to have a finger in it. It has taken a good deal of courage and enterprise on the part of Harold Ryan and his able colleagues in the broadcasting division to keep our experiment on the track and to prevent overzealous interference from other governmental quarters. You would be surprised if I were to tell you the complete story of attempted forays against broadcasters in the field of news restriction which the Office of Censorship has been able to head off. I'm not speaking now of the heads of any government departments or agencies, but of personnel down the line which frequently has had a concept of what news could and could not be broadcast ...differing widely from the realities and common sense. I pay tribute to these members of our staff... ...who have resisted such attempts so valiantly and so successfully... ...that our intra-governmental relations now are excellent... ...and our place generally recognized. Nevertheless, I can assure you... ...that when censorship recently passed its first anniversary... ...there was no celebration we refuse to look upon censorship as a celebrated function. Our ambition is, as yours is, to do everything in our power to keep our birthdays to a minimum.
2: Now we shall hear from Mr. J.H. Ryan, Assistant Director of Censorship in charge of the Broadcasting
3: Division. Mr. Ryan. Owing to time limitation, we will need to cover the changes in the newly revised code very rapidly. There is a special note on the inside front cover the language of which was composed by Director Byron Price. It suggests that you appeal any differences of opinion in the code interpretations to the Office of Censorship. I recommend this practice to you. The first section of the code is headed news broadcasts and commentaries. Under weather, there are minor changes in terminology that do not alter procedures we've been following in the past. In the note on page 2, sportscasters are permitted some latitude. They can now use such terms as wet grounds, muddy fields, and so forth. The next clause, armed forces, we have changed the title of this clause from troops to armed forces, a technical adjustment. Under exceptions, we differentiate between armed forces within the United States and those outside the United States. The broadcast of a unit identification when outside the country is a direct tip-off to the enemy that this entire unit is in a specified area of combat. Such information is vital to the enemy. Navy personnel should never be linked with ships. Defense units and embarkation points within the United States should not be disclosed. The next clause deals with ships, convoys, and so forth. There are only two changes. We have placed a proscription on the location of ships in construction and also on the movement of diplomatic exchange ships under direction of the State Department. There is a significant change in the first line of the clause covering action at sea. It's the phrase from war causes. This means, of course, that accidental damaging or sinking of war or merchant vessels in the absence of war causes is legitimate information for broadcast. The enemy air attack clause is unchanged, so we can move to a new clause, accredited military and naval correspondence. This you will recognize as explanatory copy, and it will be of particular value to those major stations and networks which maintain correspondence in fields of action. The language is meant to clarify for such broadcasters the responsibility they bear toward the War and Navy Departments for their accredited correspondence and the relation of that responsibility to voluntary censorship. The progress of the war and the concurrent advances we have made in censorship have made it possible to wipe out most of the language contained in the next clause, which is headed planes. This paragraph condenses and clarifies. In the clause headed fortifications and air installations, The code places a prescription on three additional types of installations. They are, first, defense installation details of public airports when used for military purposes. Second, location of specially constructed bomb shelters. Third, location of civilian defense communication control centers. In this, the February 1st issue, we have set aside a separate clause covering sabotage. I believe it's self-explanatory, but I should like to enlarge upon that parenthetical phrase, including information on bottlenecks. We were looking more toward conciseness and clarity than towards the king's English in composing this instrument. That isolated phrase on bottlenecks might confuse you somewhat. Let us say for illustration that there are 20 plants involved in the manufacture of an airplane. If plant number 18 is a bottleneck in this operation, such information would be helpful to saboteurs, since they would know that by concentrating their activities on that particular plant, they would be arresting the progress of production of a vital war instrument. Please note that the Department of Justice becomes an appropriate authority for the mention of sabotage in reporting accidents. I hope you will be as glad to note as we are that the production clause has shrunk considerably. There are two reasons for this. Experience has taught us that it's not feasible from a common sense point of view to control too much of the information growing out of our nation's production efforts. Secondly, many of our people with good cause want to talk about our great strides of production. I would say that this clause is now down to the bone and that each word in it is a telling word. In the rumors clause, you will note that we've dropped the reference to broadcasting atrocity stories. We entrust this to the discretion of broadcasters which we have good reason to respect. In the last edition of the code, we mentioned interviews with persons from combat zones under the rumors clause. This time, we discussed this matter under a separate section entitled combat zone interviews and letters. Such interviews, you will note, should be submitted to the Office of Censorship or to the appropriate Army or Navy public relations officer. In the case of letters, broadcasters are asked to measure the content against this code. Unlike interviews with persons from combat zones, letters are censored by military men at the point of origin, but this censorship is conducted with the thought that the letters will only be read by a limited number of persons. If broadcast, they should be examined carefully. There follows a separate clause which certainly suggests that the war is six months older than it was when we last revised the code. It describes minutely the practice you should follow in information about war prisoners, internees, and civilian prisoners. Get this one well in mind. You will remember the next clause headed military intelligence as the subject of a special directive issued by the office since the June 15th revision. This merely puts that directive in the code as a permanent part of our suggestions to you. More information originating outside of United States territory may be broadcast if its origin is made plain. It is just horse sense that we cannot control information the whole world knows about. The only qualification contained in this clause is that which notes that some information can originate outside the United States and not be known to the whole world. For example, something might originate in Mexico or in Canada and come to the United States and have no circulation beyond those two or three points. In such event, you will notice that we reserve the right to ask you not to broadcast such material. The general cause concerns itself mostly with suggestions which have been noted in special releases from this office. There should be no broadcast of secret war plans. Special care should be taken in reporting forest fires and so forth. I don't believe there is anything here that isn't clear to you. The second section of the code, again, is entitled Program. I think an important addition to the program section, which you will want to note carefully, is paragraph E on page 8, entitled Simulated Air Raids and Blackouts. This advice does not mean that you may not be called upon by your service command or a civilian defense organization to assist during air raids should one occur. As a matter of fact, you now know that all air, the all-clear will be given by radio. This advice is predicated on our understanding that all stations should be under direct control of the military in the affected zone in the event of an air raid and that they will be off the air. The last section of the code will be of interest only to those radio stations broadcasting in foreign languages. There are, I believe, around 130 to 150. Outlined in this section is the responsibility of the Office of Censorship to remove from the air those broadcasting in foreign languages who, for a reason of the nation's security, should not be broadcasting in foreign languages. Soon we're going to send Mr. Edward Brunson of our office out to see some of you broadcasters in the Southwest. We want to do this, too, in the New England states, in Chicago and Detroit, and in New York and Philadelphia, as well as on the West Coast. Some broadcasters in this country are speaking in the language of our enemies over stations which certainly can be heard at sea. Mr. Price said a moment ago that voluntary censorship is a success. I wish to echo him and say to you that as a broadcaster I take great personal pride in the splendid job that this industry has performed in the first year of its greatest test. You will never need to apologize to our men in arms or to their parents at home for the military information which you denied the enemy by censoring yourself. Mr. Price and Mr. Bryan have requested me to thank those
2: listening for taking the time during these busy war days to sit in on this discussion of censorship and some of its problems. Let us remind you once more... That these have been closed circuit talks, not for broadcast and not for publication. Stand by for your next regular feature.